Well, I'm just aware of the fact that, uh, you know, all of these shows, these seven principles, they sound daunting, they sound challenging, they sound difficult. Uh, you know, basically they sound inconvenient at times, and they're going to involve, you know, getting out of a comfort zone. Anytime we're getting out of a comfort zone, that's exactly where accountability uh, comes in. And that's exactly, though, where AA talked about do this one day at a time. Don't look at this for the rest of your life like I was just talking about, but look at what you need to do tomorrow, what you need to do for the next week. Keep it simple, and uh, I think you'll find that uh, before too long you'll recognize doing this one day at a time. You've got a fair amount of time in place that you've actually accomplished the change that you're trying to make. Welcome to the Faithful and True Podcast. Today we return to you with the second portion, if you will, of the podcast that we began last week, which is a legacy presentation with Dr. Mark Laser and myself, in which we're talking about the seven principles of accountability. On the last podcast, we addressed the first two principles, and today we'd like to wrap up this podcast series with the five remaining principles of accountability. Here now, is Dr. Mark Laser. So in our first show, we talked about principles number one and two of accountability, one being the admission of uh, powerlessness and the willingness to ask for help. Uh, principle number two, the ability to uh, state our feelings and to uh, be able to state our needs. So if you're going to be accountable, you've got to recognize that you need help. You've got to be able to talk about your needs. You've got to be able to uh, be honest about your feelings. Today, Randy, we're going to talk about principle number three, which is, uh, I think, one that people would be a little bit more familiar with, that we all need a group. We need a safe community of other people all of whom might themselves be struggling to make the same change that we're trying to make. But we're talking about strength in numbers, aren't we, Mark? That's right. I, I want to uh, own for the show that when I needed to make a change in my life back in 1987, and that was basically to stop a lot of sinful sexual behaviors, I was pointed in the right direction by a recovering alcoholic. So while I'm not an alcoholic myself, alcoholics know powerlessness. They know principle one. They know they need to be able to talk about feelings and needs. And every alcoholic that I've ever met knows that he needs to go to a meeting at least once every week. In fact, many alcoholics would encourage that in the early days of trying to make a change around alcohol, that you go to one meeting every day. Uh, our AA friends out there who are listening will recognize that that's what they would call 90 and 90, 90 days and 90 meetings. But let's just be clear. You need to have a community of people to be with on a regular basis, all of whom are struggling with the same change that you're trying to make. It doesn't do as uh, much good, I don't think, Randy, to go to a general group of people that are just wanting to talk about general things and, well, yeah, we all need to make some kind of change. I really think that if you're trying to make a very specific change, you need to be around people who are trying to make that same change. Well, because each form of addiction has its own unique characteristics, right? That is right. So if you're going to be shopping around for a group out there, uh, let me just strongly encourage that you find a group of people that is really getting very specific about the uh, kind of change that you're trying to make. You know, one of the things that I've heard over the years is, well, I'm going to start going to Bible studies. Well, Bible studies are great. Don't get me wrong. I I love Bible study myself, and uh, 
I love, you know, getting with a group of uh, men who are really interested in doing that. The average Bible study is not designed to help people get real down and dirty about how to make a change. So uh, don't think that you can go to a Bible study and get specific about some of the stuff that we've been talking about here. Now, on the other hand, I think it is good to find some Christian-based support groups, and there are those out there. But if we uh, keep in front of us the main principle that you're going to need a group, the most common mistake that I hear the average Christian person make is this thought, that they can have one accountability partner. I talk to hundreds, perhaps thousands of guys who, you know, come into our counseling center, come to our workshops, and they say, I had an accountability partner and it didn't seem to help. Well, my first question is going to always be, how often did you talk to that accountability partner? Let's be honest. If you just have one accountability partner, you're going to wear that person out. If you need to talk to somebody every day, perhaps three or four times a day, because you're struggling with some temptation or you're struggling with finding the motivation to make a positive change, you know, one person is just not going to be enough. Caller ID is going to be your nemesis because he'll, he'll never take that call. Well, that's right. Not to mention the fact that, you know, some of the guys that we work with who are struggling to not look at pornography, to stop looking at pornography, it may be that it's at midnight or two o'clock or three o'clock in the morning that they're struggling to stop doing that. They pick up the phone and they, they want to talk to their accountability partner and he's in bed. He's got a cell phone off, does not want to come outside his house and have coffee with you so that you can calm yourself down. We need to have a group of people. My second question for those people who say they have one accountability partner is where does that guy live? And it's amazing to me that a lot of people say, well, they're in California uh, or they're in Florida or they're even, you know, 50 miles away, however far away they are. Accountability partners need to be people who can, let's just use an old expression, get in your face at times when you're going to need that kind of help. So a group consists of, let's just use a round number, 10 people. And it might be the seventh person on your list who answers the phone when you really need to talk about something. I love movies, and we're not here to do movie reviews today, but uh, this is a very old movie, Gladiator. And there's a scene in that movie, I think a lot of the men listening will relate to this because most people have seen that movie, in which uh, uh, the main uh, figure in that movie, Maximus, is uh, being led into the Roman Colosseum, and they're being asked to recreate one of the great battles in the history of the Roman legions in which the uh, barbarian horde is going to get completely annihilated by the Roman legions. Maximus is, is going to get to play the barbarian horde, so he knows that he's about to get annihilated. So he says to the gladiator buddies around him, whatever comes through those gates, we have a better chance of survival if we stay together. And the strength of the Roman legions, in fact, was that uh, they formed themselves into groups, and they stood locked shield to shield next to each other. And I love that image because anybody who's trying to make a change in the in the face of temptation to not make that change is going to face the attack. It's going to face, you know, a power of evil in our world that doesn't want you uh, stopping something that's sinful or starting something that's healthy. We're going to need people standing with us locked shield to shield. So let's just schedule in, an, in a future uh, podcast, Randy, to talk about some specific strategies to just, you know, find a group that's out there. For the moment, if you're struggling with an addiction, go to uh, a 12-step meeting. Find some of the uh, Christian-based groups that are dedicated to your addiction. Remember, this has got to be specific. This has got to be down and dirty. This cannot be general or generic. Even if it's 
you want to make a change to uh, start exercising, find a group of people who want to also make that change, who might even be willing to meet you at the health club and uh, the five or 10 of you work out together. There are strength in numbers because there's encouragement in numbers. And most of us are codependent enough not to want to disappoint that group. So if we have a, a group of people encouraging us, that is really one of the central principles of this whole accountability teaching. So uh, find a group. Let me summarize number three that way. Number four is I think a lot of people who are struggling to make a change, particularly if they're struggling with an addiction, are reactive. Throughout their life, they've uh, predicated their life on reacting to problems. The average addict is a very good reactor. One of the things we're talking about here in this uh, whole series is, is making positive changes. And in order to make positive changes, you're probably going to have to be more proactive. So principle number four is simply this. If you're going to make a change in your life, you've got to prepare ahead for any temptations or roadblocks in your way. You've got to prepare in advance so that uh, when the temptation strikes, you'll be ready. One of the examples I always think about is given the fact that I struggled with looking at pornography and so forth, and in the early days of my recovery, there was times when I had to travel on the road. One of the things that I would ask before I even got on the plane, I'd call the hotel where I was scheduled to stay, and uh, I would ask them to, could the, could the uh, inappropriate channels, the, the online video pornography that's available in rooms, could that be blocked? And then when I'd get to the hotel, I'd say, even if I call in the middle of the night to ask it to be unblocked, put a note that, you know, do not agree to do that. Uh, it even got to the point where, you know, some, some of these, you know, you know, desk managers, they, you know, they don't get this. Yeah, I remember checking into a hotel once and uh, the guy behind the desk said, I, I don't understand why you're asking to block the TV channels. You're, you're, you're traveling by yourself. You don't have any children with you. And uh, I said, you don't get it. Uh, I'm the child. And he didn't understand that either. But uh, basically, I got to the point uh, occasionally where I would simply ask them to take the television out of the room. Before I get there, you know, I don't even want to look at it. Now, these days, you know, they've got these flat screen things that are screwed in the wall. So, you know, you got to have some other strategies. I'll be honest, 25 years down the road, you know, I don't have that boundary anymore. If, but one of the things I do know is that uh, I still need to be proactive. There are still certain things that I'm going to schedule for myself or try to do before temptation strikes. As precautions. Yeah, very much precaution. Proactivity. Now, remember, principle number three, you're going to have your 10 people in your support system, in your group, that are going to meet with you on at least a weekly basis, if not in some cases daily basis. And, you know, sometimes these people can help you know what it is you need to do in order to prepare for an attack that you know is going to come. If you're struggling with alcohol or eating or uh, gambling or whatever else it is, uh, you need to have strategies in place to not be around too much food, to you know not go to bars or whatever else it is. We need to be proactive in terms of uh, planning ahead. If How many times have I said that already this morning? Right, exactly. Well, where do you uh, recommend then? Uh, of course, we at Faithful and True are here as a resource uh, for, for men out there struggling with sexual purity issues. Uh, but as a man is looking for a support group such as you're talking about, where does he begin his search for a group? Well, one of the things I'm tempted to say is that, you know, if you're struggling with a specific problem, start with even your own pastor or somebody, you know, where you live. Say, do you know of a group that exists for this particular kind of problem? In our area. Yeah. There are papers in a lot of areas, newspapers even. I know they're becoming an extinct thing, but... 
Um, there's a recovery newspaper here in the Twin Cities. If you look in the back of that, uh, it will have 100 or more uh, support type groups that, that meet. Sometimes uh, the Yellow Pages, whether it's online or wherever it is, uh, these days you can Google uh, support for or uh, sex addiction support or sex addiction help, alcohol, whatever it is. I mean, <clears throat> with the Google search engine, I mean, you can probably find most things that exist. One of the things we're talking about here is, if you remember principle one, which is that admission of powerlessness and that ability to state your needs and ask for help, which is principle number two, you know, you may need to ask other people, do you know of places where there are support groups for this kind of, this kind of uh, issue? Go ahead. Uh, number uh, four, of course, is um, <clears throat> ask other people, you know, how they've been successful in, in planning ahead or, or preparing, what, what they have done. I'm always uh, blessed and honored when um, we get military men here at the center for our uh, workshops, particularly. We honor uh, the military in so many ways. <clears throat> One of the things I've, I've learned from all the military men that I've known is that, uh, you know, military training, what is it about? It's about doing practice kind of drills or practice battles or mock, you know, this or various kinds of activities that will anticipate the various kind of dangers that the average soldier might face. In fact, you know, a lot of these military guys say that 99% of military service is, is preparation, yeah. cleaning your rifle, you know, drilling, parading, going on uh, uh, various kind of uh, uh, practice, uh, you know, uh, war games or whatever else it is. And, and the reason they do that is so that when they get in the actual battle, uh, they won't actually have to think as much about what they're doing there. Their mind will just take over what they need to do. We could, we could say the same thing about athletics. You know, why do, you know, various sports teams practice various kind of scenarios so that when they get in the actual game situation, their, their brain will actually take over and they will know what to do. Um, <clears throat> the founder of our field of sexual addiction, Dr. Patrick Carnes, called this fire drills. In other words, Preparation. So, you know, maybe on a given day, you're not facing the temptation to uh, do whatever it is you're trying to stop or facing the temptation to not do whatever it is you're trying to start. Uh, on that day, maybe you don't think you need as many uh, phone calls or whatever else it is. I believe that in preparation, it's important to make phone calls, to go to meetings all the time. 90% of the time, you may not actually need it that day, but on the day when you do need it, if you're in the habit of making those calls or going to those meetings, it will become more automatic. Principle number four is about doing things in practice that will become automatic in reality so that when an attack comes, you will, uh, you will know what to do. So principle number five of accountability is, uh, I think, one of the ones that's the uh, least understood. It basically is stated this way. If you're going to be accountable, you have to have a plan uh, for the temptations that you know are going to come in life. Uh, prepare ahead, sometimes in a time of strength, uh, for a time of weakness that we all know is going to hit us. I think all of the listeners can identify with the fact that they've made commitments to some kind of change, a change uh, of uh, stopping a behavior, a change of starting a new and positive and healthy behavior. We all have good intentions, and then there comes along those temptations uh, to do whatever it is we're trying to stop or to, uh, to not do whatever it is we're trying to start. So 
this principle really speaks to that, and it says that uh, when we're committed, when we're strong, when we're feeling uh, more energetic about this, we should have a, a definite plan in place uh, to deal with those temptations when they occur. Now, uh, last week you were talking about having those trusted resources, uh, those those people that you can turn to in those moments of weakness. Right. Is, is that part of this plan you're talking about? That is definitely part of the plan, meaning that, uh, you know, principle uh, three is that uh, if we're going to make a change, we all need a group of some sort of accountability. And I think, again, one of the least understood uh, parts of that is that it needs to be more people than we think. Uh, right. The average guy believes that uh, I can have one accountability partner, and that person's going to check with me once a week to see how it's going. Well, you know, that might work for some more minor things. Uh, uh, I've got a current project I'm working on, and I have uh, one accountability partner who reminds me about how I'm doing with that. Uh, That's not a major change I'm trying to make in my life. That's just a writing project I'm trying to get done. Uh, some of the major things, we're going to need those uh, 10 guys. And the reason we're going to need 10 is that uh, you know we need uh, constant reminders, uh, number one. Number two, we need to have uh, guys that we can call and get with uh, even at you know the last minute if we need to. So uh, this, uh, this preparation does mean cultivating you know that group of people uh, Let's just keep it around number ten guys that are, you know are part of our accountability network. What other steps can you take then uh, once you have that group of support in place? Um, what other steps are possible uh, for you to make to be prepared for those moments? Well, I think it's uh, really important for uh, all of us if we're trying to make a change to uh, <clears throat> spend some time reflecting on. You know, what are some of the uh, factors in place, the elements in place, the vulnerabilities in place when temptations are more likely? So part of the preparation is understanding, you know, if I'm uh, tired, I'm probably more likely to uh, get tempted. If I'm lonely, if I'm angry, if I'm... This is something which Alcoholics Anonymous years ago called the acronym HALT. I'm hungry, I'm angry, I'm lonely, I'm tired. Uh, Part of what this is about is looking at the times when uh, you've tried to stop something, haven't been able to do it, what were the factors that led up to um, doing it again? Uh, What were the emotional vulnerabilities, the physical vulnerabilities? Uh, What were the uh, perhaps rituals that led up to it? So that you should have a very detailed idea of the conditions under which uh, it became more likely that you were going to uh, be be uh, unsuccessful. Is it usually the same type of uh, um, uh, circumstance that that leads to the uh, the the breakdown of being able to cope with it? Well, you know, it, it can vary somewhat, but generally speaking, I think uh, uh, we're all we're all more likely, don't you think, to be more tempted to be more vulnerable if we're tired? Absolutely. Uh, if we're in an angry place. Uh, Sometimes when we're angry, we say, you know, what the heck, I'm going to go ahead and do this anyway or not do this anyway. Um, uh, When we say hungry, we mean we probably have some kind of uh, desires that are not getting met. So I think there's some universals at place here. And then having said that, every individual is uh, totally unique in terms of, you know, what their rituals might be, what are some of the elements around them. 
let's say you work at a particular job and your boss is uh, cranky or not a very nice person in general, and he comes in and, uh, you know, reams you out about something. Uh, all of us, you know, should know if that were to be the circumstance, then uh, we might be more angry, we might be more anxious, we might be, um, you know, more emotionally tired of that kind of thing. We're going to be more vulnerable at that point in terms of whatever the temptations are. So that's the point at which we need to have a plan in place sure. to deal with that. When you know that that's one of your personal triggers, right. you're, you're, you're prepared in advance uh, to handle that appropriately. Yeah, that's exactly right. So uh, <clears throat> I think more so than uh, the average person realizes, this preparation piece uh, involves doing a little uh, history work to understand uh, what are the elements that made you more uh, susceptible to this in the first place. Okay. And and when can uh, an individual feel secure that they are properly prepared? Well, I'm not sure. <clears throat> I think one of the things uh, that we all had to have is an attitude of certain uh, powerlessness. That was principle number one. And uh, that there, uh, there, there is no such thing as, as a perfect preparedness. Uh, in fact, some of our preparedness is recognizing that there's going to be times <laughs> the imperfection of our preparedness, right? That you know we're we're probably not going to have in in every case uh, a totally absolutely uh, foolproof plan in place, but <clears throat> that does involve you know part of this principle, which is I think all of us that are trying to make a change should be in the habit of regularly talking to people, regularly calling people. Uh, when I first got in recovery, now over. 25 years ago, uh, my first uh, sponsor in the program uh, wanted me to call him three times every day. I said, I, I'm probably not going to need to call you three times every day. And he said, I don't care whether you need to or not. I want you to get in the habit of doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was literally true that <clears throat> if he didn't get that call, uh, he would call me. And there were days when, you know, whatever preparation I had made, they were inadequate. And, and it was that call uh, from him or that reaching out by him that was enough to uh, to stop me or to uh, prevent me from doing what I was going to do. So uh, <clears throat> I think the other part of this is uh, at times anticipating, you know, going into situations which we know might be dangerous or triggering. Uh, the one that I always think of, and uh, it's applicable today, I mean, uh, for me, uh, Today, I'm, <clears throat> I'm going to be, later on today, after we tape the show, uh, I'm going to be uh, going to the airport, getting on a plane, uh, going to Denver, going to be teaching um, there at the uh, seminary in Denver. And uh, so I'm going to be by myself. I'm going to be in a hotel room by myself uh, over the next couple of nights. And uh, <clears throat> I think there, there might be certain preparations that I need to make uh, to be by myself alone in a hotel room. In the old days, when uh, you know, part of my junk was to uh, uh, you know look at the the por- uh, pornography that was on the the television. Uh, I would do one of two things. I I would call the hotel in advance. Uh, I would tell them to turn off access to all of that uh, cable stuff. Uh, if they weren't able to exactly do that, uh, there was even a couple times when I asked them to uh, take the television out of my room. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> that's preparation. There were other times in the early days, particularly when I traveled, when I had checked out <clears throat> local support group meetings. So if I'm going to Denver, which I am, um, I happen to know because Denver was one of the cities in the early days where I checked out 
you know, the 12-step meetings that were going on in Denver before I ever got there, I knew when they met, I knew where they met, I knew the times they met, I knew a contact person there. And uh, the truth of it is, is that uh, I have a lot of friends in Denver because of the fact that uh, I I, uh, I went to 12-step meetings there sure. uh, back in the early days of my travel. Um, <clears throat> so if you're going into a uh, dangerous and vulnerable situation where you know that the factors are in place that might make it more likely for you to uh, be tempted, then I think uh, we prepare ahead and have a plan in place. Uh, I was talking to a guy last night who is... Uh, traveling for two weeks to Amsterdam. Well, you know, we all know that Amsterdam is a beautiful city. There's wonderful things to see there. And it is one of the world's largest red light districts there. So um, he has a plan in place of phone calls, emails, Skype sessions, uh, not with me necessarily, with, uh, you know, his accountability brothers. He's got a a regular plan to check in daily with his wife. Uh, And, you know, he's found a hotel that's not anywhere near that kind of stuff. So, you know, He's prepared ahead for the two-week time in a very, very dangerous and vulnerable place. Right. Okay. Now, you know, obviously uh, our work here, we deal with uh, people struggling with uh, uh, stopping uh, sexual behavior. So, you know, my examples sometimes kind of tend to center around that. I mean, the same kind of principles would apply to, you know, alcoholism, eating disorder, gambling problems, whatever it is we're trying to change. uh, There are plans that can be made. Uh, it, it seems to be a support system and a, and uh, being prepared no matter what your struggle is, um, uh, those same right. principles seem to apply. Yeah, and I, I think one of the, the, the principles of the principle is that that uh, traditionally a lot of people who struggle with this tend to be more reactive. They, they tend to think, you know, when a temptation hits, then I'll deal with it. The Part of what temptations bring with them is a lot of thought life that is kind of screwing with the person's mind, and uh, they, they're not going to feel like reaching out if, if they're just reactive. Another way of stating this principle is that accountability is proactive, not reactive. Right, okay. And that leads us to our next principle, uh, principle number six. This is actually one of my favorites uh, because I, uh, I think it's so positive, as uh, the listeners will see here in just a minute. But principle number six stated uh, directly is we need to be uh, building something or starting something uh, as much as we need to be stopping something. So all along we've been saying that this series of shows is for people who want to start something or stop something. The truth of it is we probably all at some point in our life need to be in the process of doing both. Mm -hmm. Um, AA puts it this way, if you're going to stop something, in their case drinking, then start something. Mm -hmm. If you're going to stop something, start something. That might be one of the easiest ways of stating this principle also. And and what I think about is those people who uh, are pursuing destructive behaviors, uh, they're probably doing it with a great deal of energy, a great deal of passion, a great deal of uh, creativity. Um, One guy came in the group a while back, and uh, he had stopped uh, his problem with Internet addiction, and uh, he had been doing Internet addiction uh, four hours every day. So he he came in the group. He was a little bit angry. It was like a three-year-old coming to their parents and saying, I'm bored, but that's basically what he was saying. He said, uh, Dr. Laser, you need to tell me what I'm supposed to do with the uh, four extra hours I have now every day. So um, I can't emphasize enough that uh, particularly if you know the change you're wanting to make is to stop something, you need to start something that's positive, that's healthy, that's creative, that's productive, that's passionate. Um, 
I I notice for myself that when I'm involved in uh, positive stuff, when I'm when I'm writing a book, when I'm preparing for something, when I'm building something, even literally building something, whether it's a home remodeling project or something like that, I'm using my creative energy. And uh, my creative energy is such that, you know, I'm not distracted, I'm not bored, I'm not more susceptible to temptation. So part of the, uh, there's, you know, questions along the way that uh, we'd like to challenge the listeners with, particularly, you know, if you're listening to this as part of a larger support group, um, Encourage each other about what in your life you might be uh, building. You know what what is your vision in a way for um, you know the kind of positive things you'd like to start in your life. Um, one of the favorite examples that I always use uh, in terms of the uh, um, one of my older examples of this back in the back in the early days of my recovery after I'd been uh, sober for about three years, <clears throat> I was invited to uh, by a publisher to write a book. And uh, <clears throat> I wanted to write a book. You know, there was a part of me that looked forward to writing a book. Uh, uh, I'd always, uh, <clears throat> you know, valued the identity, I think, of being an author. And uh, But it was a daunting project. It was a 220-page book. I, I had some uh, uh, shame about the fact that maybe nobody wants to read a book by a, uh, you know, recovering sex addict. So... Uh, what happened was I certainly had a deadline, you know, to get this manuscript in. And uh, I was at that time working at a treatment center. And it was the treatment center that was uh, founded by the uh, pioneer in our field, Dr. Patrick Kearns. So I was working directly with Pat. My office was in the same building with, with him. And uh, we frequently worked together back in those days. He knew I had this deadline about this book. And uh, he came into my office one day and simply asked, you know, how is that book going? And, uh, you know, I said, um, fine, which is sometimes what we all say, you know, it's fine. And uh, he looked at me and said, you're, you're a liar. And I said, well, you're right. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Guilty. Know, yeah, it's really not going fine. And uh, he said, you're having a shame attack, I'm guessing. And I said, yeah, you're right. I don't, you know, I'm, I don't really think people want to read a book by me. And he said, why don't you call the publisher and see if that's true? And so I did, and I talked to the uh, editor, Sandy Vanderside at Zondervan, and she said, Mark, if you, know, you weren't a recovering person, we wouldn't want you writing this book. I mean, you're the exactly right person to be writing this book. So, you know, I was uh, uh, wrong about that, which we frequently are when we have these shame thoughts. Uh, so then Pat said... Uh, uh, you're probably struggling with the length of this book. And I said, I am. And then he, he, uh, he led me through a series of questions in which he pointed out to me that when I was in college uh, and graduate school, I used to write papers, you know, the night before they were due. That's kind of the way my brain works. I need the adrenaline of a deadline to get motivated. So he said, uh, you probably wrote 10, 15, 20-page papers in a given night. And I said, yeah, that's true. And he said, uh, would it be more realistic to think that you could write two pages a night? And I was kind of um, incredulous. I said, you know, two pages is really nothing. That's no big deal. He said, well, how long is this book? I said, 220 pages. He said, that's basically 110 days. He's, uh, then he said, how about if I call you, you know, once a night, every several days, and uh, just ask you whether you've written your uh, pages two, today. two pages today? And so he started doing that, and... Uh, since he was a huge father figure in my life, I didn't want to disappoint dad, you know. So 
um, I, I did sit down, got cranked out. And, I, you know, I found once I got into the book, you know, it was inspiring. It was motivating. It was creative. It was productive. It was passionate. And so, uh, honestly, um, that book, which is today called Healing the Wounds of Sexual Addiction, was written in about 29 days. Right. And there are people who have said, you know, that reflects upon the quality of the book. But I'm, I'm thankful for great editing at Zondervan. But the point I'm trying to make is that I was trying to build something. And in this case, I was building a book. And uh, I needed uh, part of my accountability network, which in those days included Pat Carnes, to regularly call me and ask me if I was doing that, you know. And uh, so, you know, we think uh, accountability is about guys reminding us to stop something. But I think equally, uh, accountability is about guys reminding us to start something or stay with something that we have started. It's funny, as I hear you explain this uh, so eloquently, um, we're big fans of the uh, of the NBC show uh, Biggest Loser. Oh, sure. And and so hearing you describe that, just watching the last two nights, um, mm-hmm. I, I see those same principles being used as the trainers are trying right. to inspire these people to stop their old habits. You know, they right. haven't been working out; they've been eating poorly, and there's right. all of the psychological, um, you know, badgering that they do to themselves. Right. And uh, when they finally break through and get to the heart of the matter and see what's really bothering the person, yeah, uh, then they start to build, build them up on on uh, yeah. upon this very positive new life lifestyle change. Yeah, that's exactly it. And uh, I never watched that show, but I, you know, I could only imagine that you know some of those trainers have to be at some point. Uh, they have to be tough drill sergeants, and then they have to be at other times just outright encouragers very and and they walk that fine line between between doing both and a lot depends on the individual they they get to be very talented at reading the personality of the person that they're helping because some people are really motivated by that drill sergeant mentality while others you have to stop and it's the armor on the shoulders and saying i understand i know you can do this right so let's just uh you know we're not going to pause on the show but you know, if the uh, listeners want to pause this for a minute, uh, particularly if they're listening to this in a group and ask themselves the question, what is it you'd like to start? What is it you'd like to start building? And uh, uh, then if you're uh, in an accountability group, remember those 10 guys, or maybe at this point you've only got several, uh, ask them to check with you regularly as to how you're doing on starting, staying started, um, or just uh, engage yourself in a conversation on, uh, maybe right now, even as you're listening, you you uh, haven't clearly identified something you'd like to start. And uh, this is really, in a larger context, uh, a matter of what's your vision for your life. You know, what um, what do you want to accomplish? Uh, where are you going? You know, read uh, um, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Men or something like that if you want to get motivated. Uh, read uh, The Purpose Driven Life about vision and calling. Uh, <clears throat> get a sense in your life of where you're going and then try to decide on what are some of the positive changes that you need to start. That sounds like a great idea. That brings us to our uh, seventh and final principle. Right. right, and this is an easier one and a shorter one to talk about. Um, one of the things that uh, I, you know both impressed me and also uh, bothered me uh, when I first became acquainted years and years and years ago with Alcoholics Anonymous was the idea that um, you are going to be an alcoholic for the rest of your life. And that uh, you're only one drink away, uh, once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. Uh, you're always going to have to go to meetings. You're always going to have to be in accountability and that kind of thing. 
you know, <clears throat> there was a part, I'll be honest, of my uh, Christian mind that thought, well, you know, if you repent, if uh, you get saved or, you know, whatever, you should be, uh, you know, able to make a change, get delivered. I had kind of a, what I, what we sometimes call a deliverance mentality of change. And uh, I was resistant to the idea that <clears throat> whatever it is I had done, um, in uh, the early days of making this change, I would maybe need to do for the rest of my life. So, um, so of course, now I get involved in my own recovery back in 1987. And there again, I was wondering, okay, these people are telling me I've got to go to meetings every week. I've got to have some of these earlier principles that I've talked about. Am I going to have to do this forever? And uh, what I've found out over the years is uh, that... Uh, what what happens i think if you know if you start implementing these principles uh they become normal you know they they become what you're used to doing and you would in fact uh miss them if you didn't so <clears throat> if you go to meetings uh that fellowship of men if you didn't have it you'd uh, miss it mm-hmm. uh if you get in the habit of making phone calls and connecting uh if you stop doing it you would miss it i think uh, i think a lot of the men that I work with, though, they get to a point, particularly six to 12 months out, when they think this is a lot of work, it gets tiring, you know, I'm worn out, uh, you know, in the case of going to counseling, it's expensive and all this kind of stuff. And so sometimes they uh, they stop before the, uh, the change is really fully cemented in place. Uh, I call it my uh, antibiotic teaching uh, I don't know if all of the listeners have ever had to take an antibiotic, but you know what the doctor is going to say. Uh, if I give you 10 days' worth of this antibiotic, after the second day you're going to start feeling better and you're going to be tempted to stop taking the antibiotic. But if you stop taking it, the uh, infection or whatever it is will return. So take the whole 10 days. <clears throat> That's really what this principle is. If I could state it simply, do whatever it takes for as long as it takes, including the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, do all of these principles in such a way that the principles become your normal uh, standard of uh, living, uh, and they don't seem uh, exceptional after a time. Mm-hmm. It will get tiring. It will get uh, sometimes expensive. It will, at points, be inconvenient to do some of these accountability principles. But uh, everybody that I talk to who's gotten to um, three to five years of sobriety basically will say the same thing. I'm grateful for what I've had to do. Uh, I enjoy doing what I started doing, and I'm going to continue doing it for the rest of my life. Uh, don't get me wrong. If you know In the first 90 days of a recovery program, you need to go to a meeting every day. Chances are you're not going to need to do that for the rest of your life. But going to meetings, being in fellowship, having an accountability team of place... You know, the truth of it is, I don't need my accountability uh, group of men in my life to uh, make the same changes today that I was making 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but there comes along other things that I'm trying to do today in which my accountability group can now remind me about things I'm trying to stop or things that I'm trying to start. Well, and the friendship and the trust that's been built up over the years with that group of individuals is so set in stone that... Uh, yeah, that that you know you can trust them. You know that you're going to hear the truth right. when you when you turn to them. Um, as we wrap up today's show, Mark, um, like for you to tell our listeners. Uh, we're going to tease them a little bit because we've got a couple of special guests coming in next week. That is right. Uh, we've got uh, some internationally known experts, uh, Dr. David Delmonico and uh, Elizabeth Griffin, who uh, have been involved in our field for you know twenty or more years. 
uh, and they are international experts in uh, internet and uh, the dangers of the internet, uh, how easy it is to get sucked into internet addiction, and uh, they they have some very clear ideas about what all of us can do to avoid the dangers of the internet. Oh, we're excited to to know that uh, they're going to be joining us, and uh, we'd like to thank our listeners again today. Any uh, any uh, thoughts to leave the listeners to as we wrap things up here? Well, I'm just aware of the fact that uh, you know all of these shows, these seven principles, they sound daunting, they sound challenging, they sound difficult. Uh, you know, basically they sound inconvenient at times and they're going to involve, you know, getting out of a comfort zone. Anytime we're getting out of a comfort zone, that's exactly where accountability uh, comes in. And that's exactly, though, where AA talked about do this one day at a time. Don't look at this for the rest of your life like I was just talking about, but look at what you need to do tomorrow, what you need to do for the next week. Keep it simple, and uh, I think you'll find that uh, before too long you'll recognize doing this one day at a time. You've got a fair amount of time in place that you've actually accomplished the change that you're trying to make. Well, thank you once again for joining us today on the Faithful and True Podcast. It's always so refreshing for us. Uh, we miss Dr. Mark very, uh, very much each day. Uh, we lost him in 2019 after his courageous battle with cancer. And uh, we just have found that by tapping into these legacy podcasts from the past, uh, our listeners are really benefiting from his knowledge, his experience, and his wisdom. We hope that uh, you've enjoyed this two-part series and that today's podcast with the five remaining uh, principles of accountability have been transformative for you. We hope that this coming week is going to be a week that for you is going to be filled with many blessings and with great vision. 